0: Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, com BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. I kind of teased it on the last episode, but Dan and I are super excited for this episode that we have today. We have Tyson Petersheim, Director of Hitting Development at Virginia Tech University. Tyson, thank you for coming on the podcast with us.
1: Yeah, thank you, guys. It's an honor to be on here tonight, and yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So to our listeners, you guys know we're going to have a ton of hitting content here today. Obviously going to dive into a little bit of what the Hokies do offensively, as well as the team last year that had a really good offense and then a little bit of the team this year and kind of preview the last couple series of of the ACC season. A little bit of background about Tyson. This is his fourth year at Virginia Tech. He was previously at Bucknell and a graduate manager at Missouri. Obviously, he was a big part of that 22 season Hokies team. Um, but Tyson, the first question I got to ask you is we saw the scuffle go viral, right? Uh, obviously, there were some words being chirped from dugout to dugout. I had some rumors spread around, and I need you to confirm it. Is it true that Carson Demartini chirped the Tar Heels because they insist on wearing white on the road?
1: No, that's, that's not true. I'm not sure what was all said. But uh, I know that had our guys fired up. Unfortunately we couldn't couldn't back it up. Carson backed it up. I mean he, he ended up homering later in the game. But uh That's awesome. Yeah, no, that was that was it was kinda good to see that from the guys a little bit, you know, just but at the same time I wish wish we would have backed it up, wish we would have won the game. Um, no, I don't think it had anything to do with with the whites on the road. But uh so- Yeah,
0: so that created a little debate between between a, actually a friend of yours as well as a friend of ours and apparently it's a lock haven thing to wear whites on the road. But what's your opinion on road road whites and road grays? Because Dan and I are on the the gray on the road white at home. What what's your opinion on it?
1: If you got a budget and you can you can you can get grays on the road and you can wear different uniforms on the road, go wear different different color uniforms. I'm actually a big fan of like powder blues put the powder blues on the, on the road or something like that. Um, the, uh, yeah, if you can, if you get a budget where you can afford it, probably, probably best to go graze, graze on the road or some sort of fashion and, and whites at home. But also, you know, working for a university where we got our, our stirrups and pants up every game too. So a little old school in that mentality.
2: Listen, I'm just glad that I feel like me and Trevor now, like you just validated us. So we're on the uh, right side of history in that debate there because, uh, because I agree. I I just think if you got the budget, I mean, if we could, we got all kinds of alternates in today's game. It feels like every school's got five uniforms. I used to work for a division two school that I think is rocking five different unis right now. So it's like, you don't need to wear the white pants. Like somebody's just got to get in the laundry room for a couple extra hours, you know, it's okay. Um, but getting into a little bit more of what you do, can you just kind of describe to us, because you've seen so much throughout college baseball now, and it's awesome, especially at the level that you're at, some of these roles popping up, like the role that you're in. Can you kind of describe just kind of your your day-to-day, what you do for Virginia Tech and, and kind
1: of the role you're in? Yeah, so for me, it's kind of whatever they need offensively, um, whether it's a lot of hands-on stuff, throwing or flipping the guys, um, in, in early work or some other times when, you know, our hitting coach, Coach Alvin, or, or our volley, Coach Hansen, can't quite be down with the guys as much. Um, I'll be flipping or throwing. I'm um, an extra set of eyes for anything that they were kind of looking at um, within each individual guy and with the team. And then just, you know, offensively kind of, you know, making sure base running things or trying to find any edge that we can give. Just basically another set of eyes where, you know, if I see something I'll talk to them about it and then they'll, they'll address the players with it. Um, as far as a, preparing for the opponent situation, you know, everything's on synergy nowadays where we can go in and uh, kind of look at other team stuff. We can filter everything as far as what, what each guy's throwing, what their, their pickoff moves like, what, what they're, you know, doing an O2 counts and so forth. And just trying to another set of eyes to kind of watch opposing teams and prepare a game plan for them. And then defensively, I work for the outfitters a little bit as well. Um, so offensively it's numerous things kind of just trying to be hands on as much as I can and, um, helping out with I, I love the the scouting part of the game and just like my I'm a I was never a very talented player I was somebody who who had to work really hard to to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish so I think trying to find an, any edge that we can have to to beat the other team is something I really enjoy doing and having synergy video and being able to pull that up with a click of a few buttons um, really helps with that so
0: so Go into a little bit of, of maybe not exactly, I don't give away the trade, but what are some things that when you're scouting a pitcher that you particularly look for? Is it obviously the basics, the V-low? Is he a slider? Is he a curveball guy? How much does he use his changeup? Is it pitch usages and counts? And how do you scout your opponents and make sure that your guys are well-prepared to to face any pitcher, in, whether it be in the ACC or non-conference?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of all of that. But ultimately what we're trying to do is eliminate pitches. So a guy might be a three-pitch mix, let's say a stock righty, you know, fastball breaker and a changeup. But based on what we're watching on video, he has no command of the changeup. Well, then going in offensively, we're not going to honor that pitch until he starts commanding it in front of us on that day. Um, So trying to eliminate pitches. And then also a lot of our guys are are more like, what is the characteristics of the fastball? Is it a sinker? Is it high carry? Um, Is the breaker one that you can he might throw it for strikes, but when he throws it for strikes, doesn't get hit. And if it doesn't get hit, then you probably need to sit sit on the fastball and just take spin until you have to hit it. Um, if it's if it's one that gets hit, then yeah, we'll go um, based on tendency and, and certain counts. There'll be times where we'll sit on that pitch. And uh, we have, like I said, Coach Hanson, Coach Alban, um, Kyle Sarsen, who's director of player development as well. Like he does a phenomenal job. Just kind of we all have our little aspects of what we what we cover within the scouting report, and then we usually. All meet up either the night before or the morning of, of our first game for that weekend or the morning of a midweek and kind of come together on, on what our plan is. And that's usually, you know, in a, in a nutshell, it's, you know, what's the pitcher characteristics and then how do we beat it? And,
0: and so, forth. okay. Awesome. That's phenomenal. And when you talk about fastball shape specifically, it's something that, um, you know, some hitters obviously can make adjustments off of. What are some of the things that your guys specifically like to change, whether he'd be a sinker ball guy or a high vert guy? I know Alex Bregman talked about shaving the top half of the ball with a guy that has a lot of hop. Is that something that you guys talk about? And is that kind of the verbiage that those guys like to hear? or, Or what are some things from that perspective?
1: Yeah, I think that kind of goes hitter to hitter. Some guys will have a, a flatter swing where they don't have to make as much of an adjustment on that high carry fastball, um, whereas other guys are more low to high and, and they got to really think to get on top of that baseball, I'm going to hit either a power ground ball to shortstop or they really got to work to get to that pool size and, and contact it out front because that ball is rising, basically technically rising as it's coming in. So the further out front we can get it, the more, the more damage we can do. Um, and then the sinker, you know, they're, they're trying to get it up in the zone. It's more of where can we get that pitch in a zone that it does get hit as opposed to swing change. Now, each guy – some guys, you know, require a little bit of a different thought. But we try to prepare him, hey, it's a high-carry fastball and he's living at the top of the zone and he's getting that called for a strike of that day. It's going to be a long day no matter what our thoughts are. Um, we got to push him down, get him below the belt. And when he throws it below the belt, we can't miss it. Um, similar to like a sinker guy, we're going to look him up and, and really try to try to get beneath the baseball.
2: What are some of the challenges then there in getting the buy-in from the guys as far as, like, okay, we got we to gotta be able to get him down? That's, you know, that's easy to install the game plan. As coaches, we all are like, hey, hey here's the game plan. Like, let's go execute it, right? Is, and, you know, on the pitching side, it's the same thing. It's like, well, this guy can't hit this pitch. Go ex- execute it. So is that, like, is it just something that, like, hey, we're working on this as the week goes on? Hey, we're going to get on the hack and just fire high high spin fastballs at the top of the belt and make sure you guys are, are able to get it out in front further or, or what kind of things goes into uh, kind of developing the buy-in for a specific game plan like that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, putting them on the hack or we, we also have a spin ball machine so we can we can dial in the, the spin That's rate huge. there and, and like watching our guys fail and they're like, hey, this is, this is what we're talking about. This is the fastball. This is, they may not buy into it right away, but they see that on the machine and they see the difference when we turn it down a few clicks or when we keep the same spin rate, but lower it in the zone and how that changes. Like, okay, yeah. So that creates a little bit of buy-in. Um, to, be honest, to be honest, it's kind of funny. The, the best thing that helped our guys was last year we had our closer, or I guess high-leverage guy, Graham Firved. Um, He was drafted by the Orioles. I think he spun his fastball at 23, 24 um, inches. And it was only a 90 to 92-mile-an-hour fastball. He got it up every now and then. But, I mean, he was... I forget how many it was. I, there was, I knew three weeks ago. I knew the number. But somewhere close to, I think, 95% of his three years in college baseball were all fastballs and the guy doesn't get hit. So they also saw him, which, which made kind of a joke in the, in the scouting report meetings because we'd come in saying the guy's high carry, and they say like, like fear of it, high carry, because like, no, not fear. of Ah, oh, well then I don't know about that. Like the <laughs> guy like, no, it's fear of it, high carry. Like, like okay. All right. Um, so he was kind of the parameter that our guys would judge whether or not a guy was truly high carry or not. Um, but ultimately facing him in the fall and, and seeing what he did to hitters, um, from a defensive standpoint, like it it helped create buy-in. And then we also put, we like, you got heater balls, um, like little white dimple soft balls, and we'll put a a mini hack on the ground and just shoot those things through it. Yep, it kind of soars up off the top. And, you know, we'll have whoever's manning that machine, they will raise and lower it without the hitter knowing. So they got to take the ones that are up and they got to look for the ones down and, and go hit it. So there's different ways that we try to train it, but our guys do a pretty good job. If
2: if there are any hitting guys listening right now, I hope they all just wrote that one down. That to me is just like, that's the best way I think I've ever
1: heard working on that, to be honest. And little, little shout out for those balls, I guess too, because like our guys love hitting them because it doesn't hurt their hands. There's nothing, you know, if they get beat with it, it's, it's a soft ball and and they're fine. So it's the heater, heater balls, little dimples on them. But um, yeah, trying to, we try to get guys in the environment to fail and, you know, not that we want them to fail, but if once they're failing, they, they're then going to make adjustments and want to make adjustments.
0: Yeah, you, you speak about that—that that training to failure—and that's something I used to tell our guys all the time was hey, we're practicing at a game speed as much as possible because it helps the game slow down. It helps you have a lot more success. We did everything with two hack attacks, fastball, curveball. We did everything at almost 95 to 100% of the velo that we were going to see every day. And sure, it, it could be frustrating. Sure, we we had our feel good stuff in there. Is it a matter of getting guys to buy in still? Because I know the now the generation's so accustomed to machines, to mix BP, to, you know, doing all those things where guys kind of come into college with a better idea. But I know when I was still playing, the idea of hitting off a machine and the idea of not finding four backspun barrels in the left center gap was like, why am I even swinging the bat if I'm swinging and missing? And and then it became a complete 360. How has that process been to getting buy-in from from every guy and making sure that they understand that this is actually going to help you when it comes game time.
1: Yeah. So I think our, just kind of going the three years that I've been there to seeing how our, how our offense has developed and, and grown, you know, 21, we had guys that worked hard. Um, and so for 22, we had an older guy who understood, and I, I actually heard him say this to one of our transfers in the fall of, of that last year. Um, so in the fall of 21, going into the 22 season, basically it was a transfer. It came in from another division one school and they were kind of complaining a little bit about how tough practice is. And the the older guy who had been there for multiple years ended up being a fourth round draft pick, Nick Bitteson. Um And uh, he's like, man, if you, if you want feel good stuff, it's gotta be during your early work. Cause you're gonna get challenged during BP. And he took on the role where our players called him coach as a nickname, you know, coach Bittison just because he was that guy and he did it with how he talked to the other guys around him and and how he physically went on and just said, you know what, this is what's asked of us. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go hit these machines today and and so forth. And then it kind of trickled down to, we had a a very talented offense last year um, with Gavin Cross, Tanner Shovel, Kate Hunter, Nick Pittison, you know, Jack Hurley came back this year, um, Jack eligible guy and and many others too, that just filled roles and, and did a phenomenal job. But, Carson Demartini was a freshman last year batting the nine spot and he saw how those guys worked. And now this year we're asking him to bat in the the three and four spot for us throughout the year. Um, so just kind of seeing how he's matured in, in that way. And I think it's visual. Like he, you know, we have, a, we have mini hacks as well. So many hacks, um, big hacks and spin ball. And, he, you know, he'll get on the mini hack a little bit, and then he'll jump right on the big machines and uh, guys see him working. And then, they see, well, that guy's good. I'm going to start doing what that guy did. And hopefully, you know, if, if that carries throughout the course of the other teams that come in come in as well. So. And that's so, it's so interesting to me because,
2: you know, I feel like, um, you know, that was one of the things that used to frustrate me sometimes with, with younger guys coming in is, is baseball practice for so long was such a lazy thing. It was almost like a waste of time, right? Cause if you looked at like the pregame of, of, of a baseball game, right? That's what 95% of people's, you know, practices are, at the, especially at the high school level, right? It's like, hey, let's do some feel-good BP, pitchers go play catch, and that's it. And, like, you you get to college and it's like, well, you know, now that we're understanding and, and you know, so many programs are trying to develop, like, we got to be able to find better ways for, for us to – to get these guys better and have more efficient practices and get some work done. So to, you know, obviously the buy-in, you know, from the older guys and the guys, you know, seeing guys go and get drafted after they bought in like that obviously definitely helps. And speaking of some of those guys that got drafted, I mean, I mean, obviously everyone knows cross. And then you had, you know, four other top five round picks, I think it was from that last year's team. What's kind of, what separates some of those guys from, you know, what separates those guys, especially a guy who's going in, in you know, the the beginning of the first round, is it just their work ethic? Is it, you know, obviously they're, they have special athletic ability, but I mean, I, I would imagine that at a program like yours, most, most of those guys have special athletic ability. So what kind of sets those ones apart?
1: It's uh it's an answer that a lot of people probably heard before, but it's consistency, consistency in the work ethic and just being able to move on from, different at bats. And, you know, Gavin cross was, you know, there was eyes on him from time. He, you know, basically going into team USA the summer before and got on campus. And then, you know, we had scouts at our practices and all that. So that he was constantly being watched, but he was the same guy every single day. And, uh, Tanner show will the same way. And, you know, Kate Hunter, Nick, Pittison, all those guys are the same way, but I think, you know, Tanner's an interesting one because he's, he's not overly big. He's, you know, maybe five foot 10 and, um, you know he's someone who kind of has that that mentality where it doesn't matter where he starts. Like he he came in his freshman year and he was playing second base for us. By the end of the year he started playing shortstop. Um, he went from batting, you know, eighth or six, seven or eight maybe, and then I think he ended up in the five hole. I can't remember that first year, his freshman year exactly. Like he kept creeping up further and further in our lineup, and it's just he didn't care where he was at or what the rule was or what the situation was or whether we were down ten or up ten. He just he handled his at bats and so did Gavin, Caden and Nick and um, So yeah, kind of a generic, plain answer, but yeah, they were just extremely consistent in how they went about their business every single day. And, and they enjoyed, they enjoyed coming to the park. I think that's something too, where um, they invested in the guys around them, you know, off the field. And um, so as a result, they kind of just genuinely enjoyed being around the group and genuinely enjoyed practicing and, and being at the field.
0: No, that's great. That's great, and and it's so it's so funny to hear that because no matter what level you're at, consistent winners and consistent programs that turn out good players and and good talents it's that's what it comes down to, right? Is like the consistency, showing up to work every day all of the things like that. And so I know you gave the the cop-out answer of consistency. What was one of the things that those guys did? And maybe it's Gavin specifically that was the most impressive thing you've seen, um, whether it be a specific... Um, you know, they did something on this day, or I know somebody yesterday, I think, on that you might have this could be it that the guy that hit a 520 foot home run that track man call it, um, which is just bonkers to think about. So, what when you look at back at those guys and obviously that offense last year, what was the one time that you sat back in the dugout and were just like, What did I just watch?
1: Yeah, so there's a if you if you look in our in right field, we have a scoreboard in right field, we have Virginia Tech across the top, and it's like just letters on the scoreboard, you know, it'd be like, it'd, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like emboldened letters where they come out from the right. scoreboard. And in, in the end in Virginia, there's a baseball sitting on that end. still that, that Gavin cross hit up there probably two years ago. Um, <laughs> like, wow. Like there's sometimes you watch his BP and, or I'd, I'd throw him BP and, you know, I let him know, Hey, here's a fastball inside cheat on it a little bit. And you're just like, you can't believe it. How well he just, he turned on balls and, um, I think the most impressive thing would more so than that is, is his backside power. I mean, you would just watch him just lace balls into the left center gap. And then as the rounds continue, you start to elevate it more through that left center gap. And before you knew it, I think one of the biggest moments where I was like, it was actually um, TJ Rumfield the year before he was our first baseman, uh, got drafted by the Phillies and then trained to the Yankees uh, after that year, after the 21 year, but he batted behind Gavin. We were playing Boston college at home and, uh Gavin sat on a breaker and hit it to left center to tie the game in like the seventh inning or something like that. And then TJ came up behind him and he had a he had a theory where first pitch after a homer is always a fastball. And I don't know if he's right. I I I've, I've seen guys not throw fastballs, but he sold out to it every single time. And they went back to back in the same in the same spot, uh both left-handed hitters left to the batter's eye. Uh but yeah, some of Gavin's BP's you, you're just like wow, but the guys still talk about that ball that's that's up there and uh, as far as what he did that was unique within him and himself, I think he had a really good understanding of knowing what he was going to get and being able to sit on pitches. You know, we have pitch Tennessee cards in our, in our pockets as coaching staff, or, you know, we have access to them. We can kind of walk hitters through their own at bat with different verbiage or or hand signals and signs and all that. But but Gavin had a really good feel for knowing what, what pitches to eliminate and then what he was going to get. Uh, so he, he knew, Coach Jeff says it all the time, guys need to, you know, take our, our approach is a very generic approach for our team. And then you know, how does that generic approach apply to you as an individual hitter? And I think Gavin applied it better than anyone else.
0: That That's so cool. And, and when you talk about being able to um, basically sit pitches, eliminate pitches, you mentioned elimination of pitches a couple of times. What are some of the things that, that guys like Gavin, I guess would be kind of flipped. Right. Is if I'm not mistaken, like your typical stock righty bottom of the order guy, seven, eight, nines getting a fastball one out. Right. Like majority of times, a lot of times we've started to see the breaking ball be more prevalent in the game today. um, Guys being able to throw it for strikes kind of what is that blanket approach for the whole team? And then what are, some things that maybe Gavin or really anybody, Jack Hurley or Carson Martin, like any of those guys, what do they do that's unique to them? And what do you guys look for in pitcher tendencies as well on top of that?
1: The the pitcher tendency thing is going to go based on each guy's going to be different, but let's say, yeah, I, I, generic approach. I think Gavin just didn't miss the mistakes. So, you know, he, he understood that his strength was was probably, you know, if I if I need to, when in doubt, like I can I can put a ball in that left center gap and I can hit it hard. But if I'm really gonna do damage, and, you know, I'm gonna look for something up and, and turn on it, uh, he was just so good with different different fields. His, he could change his sights, he could change his timing. Um, so I don't know if I'm really necessarily answering the question, but like he just he had the ability to change his timing so so well from pitch to pitch. Where if he was behind on the fastball the next one he was on time for it. or if he he, if he thought he was going to get a breaker he would be able to truly sit on that thing and start later hang longer whatever it is that, that you need to do um and when in doubt if he got in trouble and felt like he was getting beat he would he would own that left center gap and see the ball longer um whereas you know there's a lot of physical tools that led to that you know not everybody has his tool set but you know a lot of guys it's you know you might you might get that one pitch to hit and And Gavin never missed it. So along with a few other guys too, you know, they do a really good job of that.
2: You know, you see guys, especially at the college level to me, and you kind of started to talk about approach there a little bit, especially with Gavin, like, you know, having a plan when you get up to the plate. And I feel like so many times when you see, you know, we're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids still at the end of the day. Right. And like sometimes formulating that plan, especially when, when you see a freshman come in, right. There might be a guy that comes in that's as talented as all get out, but, you know, just can't stick to an approach, doesn't understand what even a good approach is, especially depending on the guy. So how do you kind of, what are some of the things that you believe in? Like, just we can start there, like just as a freshman coming in, getting into that next level, like, all right, here's some do's and don'ts about building an approach. And how much then do you guys try and add in, you know, scouting report and information after, you know, breaking down all the synergy of the guys you're going to face in a particular weekend?
1: Yeah, approach generic approach number one is win the fastball. That that never changes, you know, regardless of who you're facing, who the hitter is at the plate. Win the fastball, and then the step further for a young guy would be, do you have the ability to sit on a on a breaker and hit it? And if you don't, well then you got to sit fastball to a bat, and you got to take spin until you absolutely have to, and you just fight it off. Um, if you can, if you and then the next question. So you have the ability to sit spin. Next question is, does his stuff allow you to do that? Is is it a breaker where okay, even if you know it's coming, you still can't hit it or it's something that you can hit, then all right, sit on it. Um, we had a really cool at bat from, from Clay Grady, freshman shortstop that we have this year, just last night um, in the first inning, he, he grounded out on a slider, first pitch slider and can't remember what inning it was, but it was his first at bat of the day. And you know that's a tough, tough thing to do. You know, if you're going to get an OO slider, you know, probably got to do some damage on it. And we had that conversation with him and his next at bat came up and it was second and third. I forget if there was two outs or one out, but he got a first-pitch fastball. He was on time for it, drove it to the right side. I think he scored one or two runs. You know, so just understanding different situations there where, you know, the oh slider with nobody on, probably not one you want to hit. And if you do, then you got to really do some damage on it. You got to really slug that thing. Whereas second and third, and you're getting a fastball, you probably got to move that fastball. So that was just a really cool moment there where he did a really good job of maturing from one at bat and just knowing that, you know, whether he was comfortable. Like, we, you know, guys – guys swing at the first pitch of of their of their game is you know if if they're on time for it good and sometimes the game calls for them to do that but say you swing at the first pitch and you get out or even if you get on base and now you have not seen the other the other stuff for your second time through your third time through um whereas if you can see pitches a little bit one you're you're ramping that guy's pitch count up which allows you hopefully to have more success later on it also may force them to bring a bullpen arm earlier in a weekend series than they would like to because now this guy's pitch counts up. And now you're just seeing more arms once in a weekend. And um, the more bullpen arms you can see in a weekend, the better chance of success you have. Uh, So got away from the question a little bit. But, yeah, young guys, like if you – Win the fastball. If you have the ability to sit breaker and hit it, and sit on it if the pitcher allows you to do that. And if you don't, then get on the machines and learn how to do it.
2: <laughs> well, and I like that, you know, you kind of let in there, too, is talking about um, just kind of the thought of, like, attacking first pitch, especially the game, is tough to do. And like you said, if, hey, if you're on it, that's great. But, you know, how much information now have you, you potentially lost? Or just, you know, because getting the eyes adjusted, especially to an arm, because we can do all the studying we can. But when you're in the box, you know, yeah things change, right? Adrenaline's now added in and, and, you know, you start to white knuckle a little bit, especially if you're a younger guy. So, you know, I always, you know, kind of refer to it as like being able to control the zone, you know, how hard in your opinion is it to kind of develop that? Because, you know, it's easy to say like, let's, let's work in that bat. Let's take some, obviously, but, but now you, ha- you know, it's harder to hit with two strikes. Guys aren't as comfortable, you know, what's some of the key things to being able to kind of develop that side of a hitter?
1: Yeah. The, the, one of the things that we stress right away in the fall is a two strike approach. You need to have, it, and you need to have confidence in it. Um, if you have confidence in your two strike approach, then, you know, you'll be willing to, to take the OO pitch. That is a strike or, you know, maybe something we talk about a lot is, you know, swinging over uh, pitches that fool us. So, you're on fastball, you're ready to go and you get the change up the breaker. Well, you, you recognize fastball the hand, obviously you get fooled. Um, swing over top of it. Don't slow down in your swing to, to make a weak contact and get yourself out. You know, I'd rather have you 0-1 than running back to the dugout because you just got out. So if you have a good two-strike approach, you know you're able to do that. If you, if you don't have confidence in it, then you're probably, you know, slowing your swing down. You're not going to slug as much. Um, and we hammer two-strike approach down big time when they first get, get in the fall. And, and we also talk um, – some of the guys have talked about this before, but a seven-ball system across the plate. So if you take seven baseballs, line them up from corner to corner, that's the width of the plate. And then the inside pitch is always number one. The outside is number seven. So righties and lefties, it's different technically than how you talk about it. But we talk about controlling zones two through six. And being on time for different counts, you're on time for a 3-5 ball, maybe a 2-4, um, you know, middle end would be 2-4. Maybe, you know, kind of like what Grady did last night in our game where it was a, it was an away fastball. He was on time for, for a four to six fastball, and he, he put it in the right center gap a little bit. So uh bottom line though with the two strike approach i think i don't know the numbers on us this year the last two years that i was there we had i think 49 percent and then 51 percent of our bats were with two strikes wow. so guys got to be willing to hit with two strikes because as a team you're you're going to get put in it so and then you know developing an approach which uh allows you to still do damage with two strikes i i don't you don't want to be defensive with two strikes i think you know the pitcher has done something to get you there whether you were off time or he fooled you or whatever. So you got to kind of tip your cap to the pitcher there a little bit. Um, The biggest things I would say if there's any young listeners, you know, I wish I had known this when I was playing more so, you know, instead of trying to defend everything, shrink the zone, as opposed to, you know, if you're trying to defend the inside fastball, you're going to get susceptible to away all speed. Um, Whereas if you're like, you know what, he got me two strikes. I'm going to crowd the plate. If he dots an inside fastball on me, I'm going to compete, but good chance that I don't get to it. Uh, But if he makes any mistakes over the outer part of the plate, I'm going to hammer it. Uh, I think it allows the guys to still slug and, you know, obviously, you know, we don't chase as much if we're kind of a little bit later timing, uh, I'm not trying to jump that inside fastball. So, yeah.
0: Now that you mentioned the seven ball system, it's funny at, at where I was at, I was at a division three school right outside of Philadelphia. We had to use 10 because that's realistically our strikes. <laughs> <It's his own. laughs> we used to talk about it. Like, yeah, like we used to, and like, it was like no excuse because guys would come back to the dugout and I'd be like, Hey, where was that? you know, trying to get verb like, how far are we going out? And they'd be like, it was a 10. And I'm like, that is a strike with two strikes at our level. If it squares the catcher up at the division three level, there's no track man to for these guys. There's nothing for them to self grade. There's nobody holding them accountable. It's who can show up and who can breathe. Pretty much, and you're done. You're going back to the dugout. So guys would come back, and and we would have that as part of our plan. It's like we got to protect two balls off. Like you need to be ready with two strikes. With less than two strikes, if you come back and you rolled over too well on a (laughs) ten, come on, man. Like we got to be smarter (laughs) than that. But with two strikes, we'd be like, listen, like that's something that that we have to be ready for because it's a strike. And if it goes past two balls off, then we can have gripes and we can have complaints but we got to adjust and and it's something that that our guys really liked and and it was something that like we you know certain things work for different guys but it was something that we were able to kind of create that verbiage and and consistent conversation every day was was through that ball system so i really liked that a lot and one of the things that i got to ask you is cuz i always had a had a belief and and you talked about having pitcher tendency charts and all these things when it came to approaches, the, like there was two things that I I core believe. Pitching coaches fall into tendencies and pitchers specifically fall into tendencies. You've mentioned being able to sit locations and eliminate pitches. Is that kind of the conversation you have? Like I remember specifically um, our biggest rival, Misericordia, who you're probably familiar with because you, you were in the area, you played college ball in the area. Like Being able to understand what their plan of attack was every time – and because they're smart coaches, they stuck to a plan and being able to take advantage of that. Is that something that you've seen consistently even when you get to that level when self-scouting is a thing?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a hats off to, to Kurt Alvin, our hitting coach. Um, he's been at Tech, I think, five or six years now. Um, but he keeps, you know, we have paper you know folders of, of each team that we've played over, over the course of his time. Even I think back before when he was at VCU. You know, so just trying to, any tendency from whether it's a a different coach, you know, a a coach that he knows from a previous school or or the school itself. um, He usually does a good job of of being aware of of that and trying to look for those um, guys do a good job. It's tough to find different tendencies, you know, on, on pitching coaches. I think they do a really good job, but they will fall into it for sure. And, you know, we have a chart during the game that gets, gets logged by, by one of our position players. So he's doing that, you know, and then we have, you know, charts from, the same pitcher and pitching coach from the previous year that we look at before the series, you know, and, and all that stuff. And uh, I think our staff does a really good job of, of, trying to find those things. And I also think it's a testament to coach chef, you know, uh, this is my third year and uh, I'm the newest guy on staff aside from our director of ops who's new, but, you know, you got the core that's, that's hands on with the players, you know, so we all speak the same language. We all have familiarity within the league. Um, so that's definitely a little bit of a benefit um, to, to trying to expose and, you know, find different areas to that we can use to, to our advantage within the league. But there's, yeah, it's wild. Like, there's some guys that, you know, where you just know, like, man, there's no tendency here. Like, it's just absolutely wild. Like, sometimes, you know, it's based yeah. on, man, this pitcher has a plus pitch and he's just going to keep throwing it. And, you know, there's no real science behind it. And then there's other guys that every now and then you fall into and you're like, man, I can't believe that we just were able to pick that apart for five, four or five hitters and you have success. And you're like, man, I, I you know, can't believe that happened, but that's a testament to, to our players being able to execute too and trusting that, you know, when when we have a tendency, you know, all right, I'm going to sell out to it because hitting's tough. It's so tough. Yeah. And I think the more that any information, our guys do a really good job. We just have a, a great group of guys that, that receive information and we tell them to do something. They, you know, it's not out of force. It's, you know, they, they genuinely kind of, all right, if, if this makes it easier for me to hit, I'm going to give it a go. And they do a good job with that. So.
2: Yeah, to me, that's just it's so fascinating because these are the little kind of ins and outs that, you know, on the surface level, people don't you know quite understand because the game can just be get out there and be so simple. But to you said like every pitcher is different and um, every pitching coach can be, too. But when you when you look just from the pitching side of things, you know, understanding what your best guy's stuff is. And, and like you said, you can fall into the tendency because it's like if we're going to just go out there and attack because hitting is so hard. Right. Like so it's it's we're going to attack with my guy's best stuff because that's what he's comfortable executing. I'm going to bet that he can get you out with his best stuff because it's not easy to hit. And then, you know, you fall into those tendencies and then you can kind of flip it from the offensive side and and now have a leg up. Um, you know, those are the kind of the the inside things to me that, that make it, um, you know, the game so interesting, especially, you know, nowadays where we have so much information and we kind of are starting to really understand, you know, how to maximize our players. Um, and just kind of flipping back onto you and your role a little bit. What were, you know, you, you mentioned that you're one of the newer newer guys on staff. Even though you, you know, you've been there for quite some time now. What were some of the challenges for you kind of coming into this role and carving out the role for yourself? Because, you know, for me, you know, building that staff continuity, especially when you have, you know, two guys on the offensive side and you guys obviously have beliefs and both are really good coaches. So you're trying to figure out how to work kind of in unison What were kind of some of the things that you know in the beginning? It was like, all right, we need to you know kind of work through this so you could figure out how to also best optimize you know what you were doing to help guys.
1: Yeah, I mean that those first few months were probably a lot of observation and just trying to you know that's the first time that I that I met Coach Albin. I got hired via Zoom during COVID, Uh, so you know Coach Albin, Coach Hanson hadn't you know known anything about them, hadn't known anything about Coach Chef either, so i just observing and kind of seeing, you know, almost as if I'm a new player, listening to what he's, you know, going through and, and how he interacts with the players. I'm still trying to, you know, kind of watch and observe him too. And, you know, what's some of the side conversations that go on, just trying to, you know, hey, man, I might be crowding you some days, especially early on, like, where I'm just kind of like right by you the whole time. And I'm just trying to listen to you talk. And and soon you figure out the language and you figure out what's trying to be accomplished. And then um, when it comes down to being in season and being a part of those scouting meetings and how we're kind of all, you know, the, the old debate is, you know, if you, if you get a guy on the plate, you know, a right-handed or on the plate with uh, versus a righty, who's throwing fastball slider, if he's on the plate, is he going to chase the slider that strike the ball? Or is he going to be able to actually hit the fastball that's on the plate, you know, that's off the plate. Um, whereas if you keep him middle, you, he may not chase the slider, but he also may not hit that fastball. So like just kind of learning, like those are different things that, you know, are kind of some debates that go on and, you know, some guys have different beliefs and that's just one area. Um, we're by now being three years with them and, you know, those guys being there even longer, like it's not really even a debate anymore. We know how we're going to attack that guy. Uh, but as far as, you know, me, I just try to put my nose down and, and help out wherever I could. You know, if, if a guy needed work, like I knew coming into it too, you know, coach Elvin has three kids, coach Fecto has three kids. Um, you know, so just trying to make myself available and, and be around. And then if there was a fungo to be hit, I, I'd hit fungos and just try to yeah be available best I could and you know show it a little blessed left-handed BP helps it kind of uh, <laughs> they they wanted me to throw a lot and kind of gain some good graces just on that so was,
2: was there ever a time where you were like was the first BP first time you went out there to throw BP were you a little bit nervous like you knew that you're getting evaluated a little bit was there were there some nerves
1: so I got hired on zoom and uh the guy I lived with, uh, Kyle Sayers, director of player development, who uh, who had been there the previous year, so going on to year two, moved down from uh, Pennsylvania down to, to Blacksburg, move in. The next morning we go over to the facility. I think I'm wearing jeans, maybe like a long sleeve shirt or something, and that's my introduction to Coach Chef. Coach Chef's at the facility, and he's got two boys who are now in high school. I think one's in eighth grade, or no ninth grade, and tenth or eleventh. And at that time they were three years younger. He goes, "Hey, you mind throwing?" John Mike is the oldest, you mind throwing him some BP? And I'm like, yeah, sure, let's go. And uh, so that was my first BP experience <laughs> at Virginia Tech, was throwing to, to the head coach's son, and it went well, and um, <laughs> it was fine. I also uh, – see, that was 21, so I would have been 24, or 25 years old. I was – clean shaven didn't have a beard or anything like that, and one of the older players, it, like after like a day or two of – just being around the facility while it was early work, we weren't doing anything um, required yet, or it was all volunteer. And um, so I was kind of around the field, walking around with guys would ask me to hit fungos. I'd do it, whatever. And one of the guys was like, who are you? Like, are you, You're like, we haven't had a team meeting yet. Like, no, like, you know, he's like, like, are you a freshman? Like you, you're older than a freshman, but yeah, I was like, no, I'm, I'm on staff, man. Uh, so, but uh, I get really baby faced when, when I don't have a beard. So uh, no, no hard feelings for him, but, I honestly don't remember th- my first time throwing to the guys. I just remember throwing to, the Coach Chef's sons. But no, yeah.
0: no, nah, that's that's a good test. That's a good yeah, test. Yeah, that is it's a um, great
1: test. <laughs> yeah, the other you, you
0: run you you run one in on them and, and you don't want to hit the coaches kid there.
1: <laughs> but they're phenomenal. It was actually fun. I I enjoy throwing to those guys still every now and then. Uh, they're both left-handed, so it's fun throwing them some lefty breakers. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: There you go. You get, you get them on the tough stuff. You you train them in a game like environment. And you, you break one off there. Um, as a, as a younger coach, one of the things, I mean, Dan and I were both younger coaches. And, and one of the things that I always like to kind of pick brains of is you're kind of more, you mentioned the other coaches have kids, have families, they're older. You're kind of the guy they go to, right? You're the relationship builder and all those things like that. So how important is, building a relationship, building a repertoire with hitters in general, and having that foundation and trust in being able to coach them. I always used to use the example of if I walk through the door, no matter what I've accomplished as a baseball player, no no matter what I've accomplished as a coach, if I start correcting your swing, your guard goes up. Whoa, who are you? What do you know? You don't know why I do this. You don't know what the reason is for it. You don't know my swing you have to spend time to develop that trust before you can even put your input in there. Kind of walk through that, how that experience has been. Obviously you mentioned you've been there from your year when you were 24 to 28.
1: Yeah, that's relationships are everything. I think even, you know, take the hitting aspect aside, like relationships and relationships in life, I think are everything, Um, you know, and that's ultimately what got me into the game is, is, you know, from a player and then now as a coach, you know, it's, um someone said this and I loved it I can't remember who it was that said it but you know I need the game a lot more than it needs me you know so so like you said walking into a building and and just kind of spreading wisdom you know what's going to go on deaf ears if if there's no relationship built there so you know I yeah I want to win yeah I want to you know have athletes that that do well but and I want to do well for myself too you know but ultimately it's you know what type of men are we creating and building and and the relationships afterwards. Like, I think that's, that's what life's about. So, you know, the challenges are, you know, you're trying to come in, you're joining a staff that's kind of, you know, already been been built and players know those guys and, you know, you don't want to be a young guy. that's just a pushover where, you know, when the, when the older guys on staff aren't around you, you they just kind of, you know, walk over you right away. But at the same time you got to, you can't just start, you know, spreading things and and saying things, you know, to fix it right away. You got to, you got to get in the trenches with them a little bit. So I think, you know, that's where going in right away. And I don't still don't have it all figured out. Didn't then don't now, but just being available, you know, Hey, you need me to, you know, throw or, um, you know, there's guys that would text me later at night, you know, post-practice, I'd already gone home. I'd eaten like, Hey, you know, we're kind of thinking about going over to the facility and and hitting again. You mind coming and throwing and just being available and saying yes to that. I think that shows care. It shows um, genuine, just, yeah, I want you to succeed and to be the best that you can be as an athlete. So, and as a person, um, and that's where that kind of trust gets built, you know, and you do that over a course amount of, of days, it just builds and builds and builds. And then, you know, now we've, you know, got guys and some guys are more open than others, but, you know, I tend to be, tend to be an open guy. I, I not very closed off, you know, um, I think vulnerability is a good thing. The more vulnerable we can be, the more vulnerable they'll be. And when that happens, it's, you know, the, it's limitless what we can achieve, you know, so, yeah.
0: yeah, definitely. I, I always say there's nothing more more gratifying than seeing uh, the light bulb go on for a kid and it has nothing to do with baseball, right? When you're talking about anything, mental health, anxiety, personal problems, school problems, and, and having that office door wide open and, and a kid coming in and talking to you about something that What's going on in life, and then you go, "Hey, man! Like, listen. When I was in college, X, Y, Z. Like, I had the same issues as you. Like, I, I feel like I turned out okay. You know, you're going to be all right. Let's work through this. Don't hesitate to call you. And, you know, I'm I'm sure you've probably had guys that were formerly players of yours that still reach out to this day because you build that relationship. And and that's what it's all about. And I got to ask you: Are you a coach? Are you Coach Tyson, or, or are you just Tyson to the boys?
1: I'm Tyson. Yeah. That's, there you I go. Yeah, I'm I'm good with it. Peter shine's too long. The last thing to say, so it's definitely not that. Yeah. Coach Tyson just it's not it doesn't ring right. So, yeah.
2: yeah well, the worst one used to be just coach. Uh, my response would always be player. <laughs> like if I ever just got a coach, like what's up, player? Like <laughs> I, I have a name. You can go ahead and use it. I'm not that much older than you guys. Like it, it's a it's a that's that's a fun one to uh, always get into with guys. Um. So what? You you obviously spent some time with with Missouri, um, so you've kind of been around some of these big programs. But what are some of the differences that you've kind of experienced just going from that role, you know, in at a, at a bigger program to now the the role you've obviously been in for a few years here? Um, you see a lot of similarities, or is it you know just kind of you know that that level of baseball is that level of baseball?
1: Yeah, I think my role at Mizzou wasn't very big. It was it was more of like very hands-on. Like I didn't really do any instruction. I didn't talk to the hitters necessarily about stuff. Uh, It was more, I was available through a VP and I would hit fungos. And um, every now and then we'd have a conversation, you know, I'd help one of the, I'd help the volunteer out with some scouting report stuff, but as far as actually addressing players, didn't do a whole lot of that. Um, So as far as the the roles, like they're way different as from there to now, I wouldn't say they're much different. I mean, both, you know, SEC, ACC, talented athletes, um, the argument, you know, SEC's got the big budgets and all this stuff and the facilities, and ACC does too. The uh, biggest difference between the league in that regard is probably just depth and maybe a little bit more, you know, the arms are more power than stuff. You know, you've, you have some SEC arms that have great stuff. But they, they, as a whole, they have more power probably than what the ACC has. And then you transfer that down to, you know, when I was at Bucknell for a year or two and playing Division Two, and as you guys know, you know, being a part of the game, like, just, I think the higher level you go, the more depth each team has. I think each school, each Division One school, you know, you know, there's Division Three schools that can be Division One schools, or Division Two schools, and so forth. Um, I would say probably each mid-major team has an arm, like a Friday night guy who could be a dude, and but then it just comes down to depth, and that's what separates. Whether it's offensively and defensively, it's probably the biggest difference.
2: Yeah, well, and building that depth, right, that's what everybody tries to do every year on the – you know, at every level on the recruiting trail, right? It's just the the biggest thing is you're, you're thinking of depth when you – you know, you kind of look at what the team is set up to look like for the next year, and when you go out and you're recruiting a couple of years down the road, like everyone's depth, especially on the mound, right? Like it's like how, many, how can we get relievers who can come in and, and not drop off from the guy we're taking out of the game? Um, and so I got to ask because you mentioned like a lot of mid-majors, um, you know, have a guy who could be uh, uh, on the mound on a weekend in a power five and, and I guess more so just your opinion of things, you know, cause you know, it was really becoming big when we got out of coaching Trevor and I, but the transfer portal has now opened doors for so much movement, you know, in and out and and kind of how important is it being able to manage that? Do you think is a program to kind of be able to add those depth pieces now quicker? You're not waiting on a freshman to come in and be raw to try and build that depth. You can now go get a guy who's thrown three years at at an SEC school or at a mid-major. You're going to get in a, you know, a Conference USA guy out of the, the transfer portal to now be like, okay, hey, this guy can kind of step right in and, and help solidify that depth. So kind of in your your own opinion, like how, how important do you think that is and how do you kind of think that's kind of shaped college baseball as a whole?
1: Yeah, I think it's an absolute game changer. I think, you know, there's – across the ACC, there's a lot of – I shouldn't say a lot, but there's Division three pitchers last year who are now pitching for ACC schools and starting for them. And, you know, when you think of that, you know, four or five years ago, like, wow, really? But, you know, it's somebody that has a weapon, you know, a, a plus pitch and teams take a chance on them. And, you know, they either continue developing or maybe they are just a really, really good Division Three pitcher. And they come in, they have stuff and they do well in the ACC as well. Um, the, hitters, the hitters are difficult. You know, I think, you know, trying to judge a hitter based off of, you know, different arms that he's seeing, it, 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 the numbers may play up. Um, so, you know, ultimately it's still a, you know, is he athletic, um, does he have bat speed and can he do those do things that, you know, maybe our freshmen aren't mature enough to do yet, our incoming freshmen and can he help us? Because also it depends on the program too. I mean, there's some programs who, who have elite freshmen coming in and so it's gonna be a program to program basis, but I think overall, I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I also saw a stat, I don't know exactly the numbers, but there's a good bit of. Good, good bit of players who enter the transfer portal and end up without finding a home. They end up not going anywhere. So the grass isn't always greener either. I think players got to understand that before they go in. Um, but as far as it's almost like giving yourself a few more years, maybe you were underdeveloped coming out of high school or undersized and you, know, you had a really good, good few years and, you know, mid-major division three, division two, and, and now you're just benefiting yourself even further. Uh, the grad transfer is nice. Like I, there's a, there's a loyal side of me where, you know, if I'm pitching, I shouldn't go in and say, if you're doing really well at a school, like, you know, that's that's not fun to be coaching those schools that are, you know, now you're getting your best players plucked away from you. You know, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as a guy, you know, who who did his time, you know, four years and got his degree and now he's just looking for a new home for for grad school or something, that's great. Or if you have an opportunity to, you know, maybe you're playing at a level where, you know, you don't get scholarships, and now you have a chance to go get a scholarship for for a year or two of schooling. Like, that's great, um, but ultimately, I think it's good. I think it can be abused. I think players should should be hesitant going in. Like, grass is always greener, and you know, as far as a, a university standpoint, I think you know, pitchers if they have a weapon, that's that's it really helps pitchers out. I think yeah. hitters is a little bit tougher to judge.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and it's it it's funny you bring that up because we have a guy that I coached last year who's actually going to play at uh, North Carolina next year. D three guy, um, Mason Miller just debuted in the big leagues. He pitched twenty eight innings in the minor leagues and was a D three guy. And he was a pitcher. It's different in the hitting adjustment. And if I'm not mistaken, are you guys bringing in a D three guy next year? Um, yeah, we have, we have a hitter coming in. Yep. yep, he's a stud. We played him in regionals last year. He's he, he can play, but it's, a, it's a change of pace. Like it's different and it, it, it's going to be, there's always an adjustment that needs to be made. And, and that's the, that's the biggest thing. And, and hitting is, is one of those things where the speed of the game, the depth of the game, that's what I would say. Nowadays, D3 teams, every competitive D3 team has a kid that there's 90 plus. They probably have three to five kids that they're 90 plus. But when you're 0 for two with two strikeouts and they bring out the reliever, who's 83 at, in the ACC they bring out a reliever who's 93 and then they bring out a kid they follow that up with a with a freshman who has a 7-5 ERA because he can't throw strikes but he's 97 and it's like even your slop at bats where you get your knocks and your your numbers play up a little bit like you gotta you have to post every at bat to have success Um and and definitely an interesting thing to see these players that do make the leap up and and have success but I do want to ask you what are you know Obviously, you guys have kind of hung your hat on being, you know, last year you were second in the nation in slugging percentage, ton of doubles, ton of home runs. You've done a great job developing power. What are some of the traits that you look for, whether it be in a guy that you're going to grab in the transfer portal, freshman, anything, just the guys that you have? And what are the steps to developing them to add power? What are some of the things you try? Um, What are the things that you, the adaptations you give guys?
1: Yeah, they, they got to have bass speed. They got to be able to move well and, and be athletic. And then, you know, we don't – we're not big on changing guys' swing, the actual swing itself. Uh, if You know, our philosophy is if, you know, I think Coach Elvin does a great job recruiting. We don't get them all right. But, you know, if, if we think you're good enough to come in here and play, then why would we change what, what has gotten you success? But we do want to develop approach and, and build, build that with you. Uh, we do a lot of heavy bat training, though. We have from ax bats to power pipes – uh, power pipe is this like skinny broom handle sized thing, but it's, it's a heavy red rod. Essentially. Uh, you can do T work with it. You can actually hit off the machine with it. So our guys, guys use ax, uh, ax bats and your power pipe will usually in like November ish. Uh, once our fall schedules kind of died down, we go into like our individuals again, we'll break our guys up into, what do they need? Do they need rest and maintenance? Do they need to get stronger and, we'll put them on the bat training. We'll put them on the heavy, heavy bats, um, put them on more bed ball stuff just to get them moving better and so forth. So uh, each guy's different. Like we, we, when they come in the fall, we give them 15 to 20 drills. That's like, Hey, these are the drills that we kind of do and we believe in. And by the time that fall ends, they have about five, five, to, you know, some, some more, some less, but that's, they make part of their routine. So each guy kind of knows what they need and, and they'll, they'll hit those, those drills that kind of go towards that. And and then I think once the springtime rolls around and being able to slug it, it's going back to what I said earlier, just you know not giving up your swing. How many times can you get your best swing off? And you know that's by, might mean swinging over off speed every now and then when you get fooled and so forth, but winning the fastball and getting your best swing off. So, because we got, I mean, Tanner Schoble wasn't the biggest guy, but he slugged like crazy. Uh, we have some guys in our lineup this year that, that aren't the biggest guy. Chris Canizzaro, uh transferred from Bucknell, um, Clay Grady. They, they, they're not the biggest guys when you look at them, but they, they move well. And I think they have an understanding of, of how to swing the bat a little bit.
0: You mentioned a couple of times they're moving well. Um, and that's something that I'd love to know because that definition for everybody is different. What is that definition to you? And I mean, if you don't mind kind of kickstarting a conversation here and, and maybe we can all kind of give our opinions on what we see as moving well there. Cause I know from Dan's perspective on the pitching side, it's completely different as well.
1: Yeah. It's in simple terms, just can you organize your body repeatedly in, in a good form or fashion? And like, are you in tune with, with your body? Meaning, you know, there's some guys where you can see a swing or, or whatever they're doing and you're like, Hey man, you're not, you're not quite in your back hip because of X, Y, Z. And some guys, they, it takes them a little longer to feel it. Whereas one guy, he'll feel it right away. And he'll like, Oh yeah. Okay. And he'll get back to doing it correctly. Um, so I think it's just, you know, when I say moving well, for me, it, it's, can you put your body in position to succeed repeatedly and, and with kind of just the fluid, you know, easy athletic motion. Um, yeah. And the guys that can do that, also probably the ability to change timing really easily. They probably are very well aware of where they're at timing wise within a pitch. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Cause my, one of the things that I, I talk about when it comes to moving well, a lot is the ability to, you mentioned it all fair, like guys that get over rotational um, the ability to stay through a baseball, the ability to hold your posture, the ability to explode and be explosive, but not, fly open with your front side and all of the things that go into that. So what are some things that that you've noticed? Like I know a lot of the things like guys that side spin, guys that top spin, guys that kind of hook balls foul consistently, you kind of know that they're at least in my mind losing their front side, they're getting jumpy, they might be getting over their front side. What are some of the things that you look through? Is it a cue thing? A lot of guys that I worked with hard on top to the second baseman allowed them to pull the ball off the left field pole. It doesn't make sense, but that's sometimes the verbiage that guys need. What are some of the things that you have seen work for guys?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. You brought up a good point because some, some verbiage is completely different within the guys. Uh, So yeah. So, you know, whether it's staying through the baseball and, you know, top hand dominant type thing or, you know, some guys, it is just literally changing their sights, And, you know, we have one guy who he's kind of struggled hitting some changeups and, uh, really good at being on time for the fastball struggles, hitting change-ups. And, you know, we told him, Hey man, like change your sights a little bit. And now he's, you know, still hitting fastballs to the pool side, but because his thoughts are kind of backside minded, he, he's able to stay on those change-ups and, and also kind of help him organize and actually create better direction as opposed to pulling off. Um, and then there's, there's, yeah, this time of year, too, is tough. Like we want to keep developing guys. You know, we're not like, oh, this is the best we're going to get for this year. You know, but there's other guys, too, where it's like now is, you know, hey, this is what you got to work with. You know, we're going to keep making some small adjustments when we can. But, you know, your swing is what it is to some extent. You know, how can you now build your approach around that to, to maximize that? Um, kind of got off topic there a little bit with that. But, like, yeah. oh, it's. Yeah. You know, things, everybody's different. And I think that goes back to the trusting that we talked about where, you know, if you're around the guys enough and you're just talking, hitting with them and you're watching them talk to each other about hitting, you soon learn their language and how they understand things. Being a part of a staff that's been together for three years, you know, the four of us together, you know, our language is pretty similar. It's, it's very similar. And then as the new guys come in, learning their language and just trying to talk to each guy differently. I think that's big and you can't do without trust. Going back to that point. Yeah, well,
2: and I just, I love you keep using the term organize your body, right? Because, you know, when when you think of athletes and, and it's so easy when you watch other sports and, and like basketball, when you watch guys, you know, leap and when football, when you got, watch guys run and hit and in baseball, right, you have to, the like to me, the purest athleticism is, is the guys who look effortless doing it. You know, when you see a guy with a swing and it looks effortless and the ball's 475 feet in the big leagues and you see, you know, the my favorite example of this is a guy like Bruce Dar Gratterall with the Dodgers, who everyone calls it effortless velo. He's throwing 104, and then you watch his lower half, and he organizes his body so efficiently and so quickly in a tight space. And that's where the athleticism in baseball is, to me, is like if you can really look at a guy who throws like that or a guy who swings like that, be able to kind of move that efficiently in, in a, a tight space really quick, because you know it takes you know less than a second to throw a pitch and less than a second to swing a bat. So it's all happening so rapidly and being able to, you know, build efficient movers or guys who can organize like to, to both your points, you know, the language that you use and how everybody again is built different. They, they, not only they think different, they all move different and everybody's anatomy is different. So kind of, do you guys put guys in buckets, you know, like, okay, these are my guys who are super loose movers. These guys are my guys who are a little bit tighter um, these are my guys who, you know, I, I don't know how in depth you go. These, hey, these guys are really externally rotated in their hips just naturally. It's how their pelvis is built. How do you guys kind of separate those guys so then you can kind of build out a plan to continue to, uh, you know, develop the efficiency in their movements?
1: Yeah, that's kind of, um, we do categorize them a little bit. I would say that a lot of that happens at the end of the fall and in November. And, you know, we have guys on med balls, they have, there's med ball routines. Uh, we actually, they all do a very similar routine before they even start swinging, just try to activate the core. Uh, So one, it's an activation thing. And two, it's just learning how to move, you know, the right way. And then, you know, we have different uh, PVC pipes too, where they're just kind of getting stretched and and doing different things like that. Um, There's days where, you know, in the fall, (laughs) the fall stuff, you know, they're starting to lift. They're getting bombarded bombarded with classes. You know, it's practicing, you know, many hours. So we'll have days where our strength coach comes in as part of our early work, and he will just run a, a 10 to 15-minute stretch and roll out with the guys, just trying to improve flexibility and mobility and things like that. So I can't say that we necessarily – like we talked earlier, it would be nice to have some force plates. You know, off yeah. we talked about force plates and stuff to kind of help the guys and how they move and stuff. Uh, so hopefully that's coming in the future for the hitters. The, the pitching side has it at Tech, but um, can't say that we necessarily attack each guy's individually within that, but just – within what we do as a, as a general scheme of things, we try to attack it Um, generalizing in a a way where the drills that we kind of provide for the guys in in the med ball stuff and the PVC pipe stuff uh, kind of attacks it. And then from, from there, it's more individualized within the hitting within the swing itself.
0: Awesome. So I I got, will this be the last question about, um movement here what's what's kind of the hitter that that you watch whether it be big leagues anybody from any level that you're like that's the ideal mover mine's my epiphany was Juan Soto um being able to watch him in depth on his ability to match side bend flat bat path but on plane with everything what's a guy that that you kind of look at as like if I could build the perfect hitter it would look like that
1: I don't. I don't know if I have one guy. I'm kind of going going away from what you want, but I'm going to give
0: like, give five. Give five if you yeah, want. That's what you I, want. Just,
1: yeah. I I think Lindor. I think Lindor is great, um, and he's able to do it from both sides. So that so that's fantastic. which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, there's also like a small part of me that you know, growing up a Phillies fan, I guess like Chase Utley, and just watching how quick the ball he was with just like such a high finish. Like um, it was it was amazing how he could just stay through a baseball, and you know. Dan talked about turning in a tight space, like like he he did it. Um, so one of the guys that you know probably from from a coaching standpoint was Tanner Schobel last year, and just watching how he moved, um, and that and that's why he's getting drafted and hit homers at the size that he is. You know, Mookie Betts would fall into that category, just smaller guys that that move really well and generate power and athleticism. So yeah, I can't. That's awesome. Don't know if I have one guy, but I just I think guys that can just look really fluid when they do it. And that's kind of the definition of a good mover, I guess, but just, you know, it comes so easy to them, you know, obviously they work hard for what they do and where they get to, but that's kind of the definition of a pro, you know, doing something repeatedly and making it look easy and all that. So.
0: Yeah, guy. Chase who, Utley's uh, a great
2: answer, real quick. Sorry, Chase Utley's a yeah. phenomenal answer. Like to just, I just started replaying Chase Utley highlights in my head and thinking, like, and his bat was in the zone for forever. Like it was so quick, but that barrel was never not in the strike zone. Mm-hmm. Like just on plane, he got to like everything. It
1: was, it was, yeah, and he, he never was impressive. finished like without truly ever swinging. Like, like his yeah. bat stopped the most. You know, I, I'm a big fan of of a split grip uh, drill. You know, that creates top end. You know, dominance. I guess you would say, and just you know, put two or three inches be- between your hands and finish palm up um, at like a three quarter, maybe seventy five percent effort, and it's like that's what his swing kind of looked like. Yeah, you know? but no, I'm a big Phillies fan. Love watching Chase Utley. So,
0: no, it's awesome. A guy who has that effortless power right now is Corbin Carroll. He hits balls that you're like, that is going to be caught like midway through the outfield, and then it's like thud off that big green wall in center field you're like oh like how did that happen and and that's that's the craziest part when you see those guys that like from the center field camera you're like oh that's a fly out and then it's just like no it's 10 rows deep and it's like wow that's that's juice and that that's a that's a pretty swing right there so um uh the last question that i got for you we'll get you out of here i know you got you guys got bowling green this weekend right
1: Mm -hmm. yeah we do
0: so, so, so some pre, I'm sure you got some scouting to get caught up on. Enter Sandman on the field. Have you been there recruiting? You take recruits out there and, and get to be on the field for Enter Sandman?
1: Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely That's awesome. insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> we take, uh, we'll take recruits down there in the fall and, and they all love it. Uh, I, like, this just shows my naiveness. Like, I had no idea that was a thing. Like, I, <laughs> like college baseball, like I'm so blessed to be where I, where I am you know, like I was so narrow-minded, you know, like I, long story short, like the only reason I went to college is because I had a chance to play baseball. Like it had nothing to do with right. the academics. Of it. Like if it was not for that, I probably wouldn't have gone. Um, and now to be where I am here, like I had no idea of half the college traditions that go on in sports. And, you know, so my first fall was, you know, still no fans in the football stadium because it was, you know, COVID oh. going on. And then last fall or two falls ago now, you know, that was fantastic and I listen to the football field. And then I go to, I went to like maybe one basketball game. They do it there. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And uh, then my first spring in 21, we, we were doing pretty well early on in the year. UVA came to town. We were hosting UVA on a Friday night. And that was the biggest crowd we had up to that point. And uh, so our pitchers on the mound, they're playing into Sandman, which had no idea they were going to do that before our games either. Like that was just great. But the crowd <laughs> wouldn't really get into it. We didn't have much of a crowd until then. And UVA Friday night, um, pictures on the mound, the, the song cuts out and he starts his wind up and the crowd's still jumping and singing for another like 10 seconds as the song finally finishes. And I was like, that was absolutely electric. Well, it is a pretty cool, pretty cool place to be in here and down in the football field is um, I going to Penn State games. I grew up going to Penn State games. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. That's good too. yeah. The whiteout. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's uh. Yeah,
0: you want to? I, I like to put this out to the sphere because I never want Dan to forget. I gave Dan <laughs> two whiteout tickets to the Auburn game because that's how good of a friend I am. Because I couldn't, because of work, and I gave them to him. So it, I will forever hold that over his head. I was a season ticket holder for a year in 2021, and then moved down to North Carolina here. Um, but I gave gave him for free whiteout tickets. So. It was a night I'll never forget That's- either. Got to go
2: with a buddy; it was unbelievable. We're, we're college football junkies, you can tell. And like, I was at, I was in uh, Athens, Georgia when Tennessee came to town last year, um, and I always tell my wife it was the second best day of my life, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it ranks up there. It was like unbelievable. And then, so I got introduced to Enter Sandman. There's actually, and I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's a YouTube video. If you search it, they strapped a, a GoPro to one of the players' helmets for the walk from their facility through to the stadium and then out onto the field. And it's just like, that is like probably a top five feeling you can have in life is being one of those guys, like walking to the stadium, hearing that atmosphere is like, it's insane. So yeah, to be there, is, I would love to, to experience that one day.
1: <laughs> yeah. You guys will have to, uh, well, to make it a thing now, get get time to come on down we'll hang out for a weekend or something love to, oh, yeah, you to you, yeah you don't have to tell us twice yeah you don't have to tell us twice i hope you mean that invite because we'll I definitely to, take yeah. it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, um that was virginia tech hosted uh the first game back from covid wasn't it that was the game in 20 the thursday night game yeah was it maybe. and that place was rocking that night yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That was cool. You think Brent Pry is going to turn around? You're a Penn State guy, local guy. Now he's at VT. I know Brent Pry is probably following you at this point, it feels like.
1: <laughs> no shot. But, uh, yeah, he will. He 100% will. He actually <laughs> booked our team last th- week. And, uh, That's awesome. That was really cool. I mean, talking about a guy that we, – we do a thing on Thursday. You know, if it's Friday game, Thursday nights we'll kind of meet as a team and um, usually have – different questions that we ask so that each guy has to stand up and answer, you know, two questions throughout the course of you know, each guy talks about one time throughout the course of the year and answering, you know, basically why they're, you know, what drives them to play baseball or whatever the question is for that semester. And coach chef likes bringing in guest speakers and he brought in coach Pry. And we didn't know, like, we thought he was going to talk to the team. He like yelled at us. He, he like, like, you know, just not, not in any negative way, but he was just like, let's go. Like it's time to hit somebody, you know, <laughs> You know UNC this and that and all that. It was great. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, Guys, like we had the meeting, then they go lift, and uh, oh my god, that lift was fire me up. up. That was good. He just he came in full of energy. You know, catch it, hit it, let's go, and walked out. (laughs) That's awesome. All right, catch it, hit it. That's all. That's all you got to do. So
0: so now yeah. we know where uh carson demartini got fired up from <laughs> why he was, he was getting a little yeah. chirpy coach pry. yeah yeah coach
1: pry <laughs> no he's he's phenomenal
0: yeah. yeah no i have nothing i have nothing but love for coach pry he did he did a great job and in state college and him and Franklin are like tight, tight too. I mean, he was there for like, since Franklin's tenure started, which is crazy in in college football today. So definitely, uh, definitely wishing him nothing but the best down there in Blacksburg. So, um, but real quick any closing thoughts. Yeah, of course you go. Uh,
1: We we mentioned our mutual friend, Tom Cockle. Uh, If all fairs, you guys got to ask him we used to work Penn state games uh, as, as landmark security guards. So we fit a Lock Haven there. You know, a lot of Penn State would pay us to, to go and, and work those games. And we'd leave Lock Haven's like 45 minutes away. we get on, say it's a 12 o'clock game. we get on the bus at 6 a.m., go over to, to Penn State. And they just like put us in the hockey arena. And we're just like sitting there for two hours till we finally get assigned to where we need to go. you are basically working security. Some days it's raining. It's, we did not enjoy it. It was, it was not much fun. But you get a free ticket to the game, and yeah, uh, some sometimes you guys will have to ask him about one of those games He'll know what you're talking about. But uh, yeah, you just you go in, you get a meal, um, a voucher for a meal, you get one meal, and you're there from like six to five a.m. Oh, to, to p.m. So you finally get back, and you're just, you're so tired. But it's a great it's a great idea. You give smaller schools a chance to make money. Yeah. Well, and
2: probably some great stories, like you said, that probably have to be shared off air that come from some of those
0: experiences. That's what I was about to say. (laughs) 6 a.m. on a Saturday. Tyson, you could stay out of this conversation. 6 a.m. on a Saturday as a college student. (laughs) We don't need you getting in trouble. This is Dan and I. No, not good. Not good. Not
2: a good, not a good idea. That's amazing.
0: Well, Dan, do you have any uh, last questions for Tyson before we let him go?
2: No, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. This has been a, a blast and um hopefully you will uh we'll get you on soon and, and you know maybe we'll see you guys in Durham for the ACC
1: tournament. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys. It's been nice getting to know you guys a little bit and yeah, this has been fun. So, hopefully we going to get push into push to Durham, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I know, I know to our listeners, they'll definitely be rooting for you guys. Uh, finish the season strong. And, and obviously, thank you, Tyson, for coming on here. And, and to our listeners, make sure you're liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast, following on all social channels doing our best to grow this thing any way we can. We've got a lot of nice guests that take time out of their day to come on and provide some just valuable information and just talk ball, which is all we all we really want to do. So we hope you guys enjoy it because it was obviously just a wealth of information. So make sure you're sharing with five friends. We love doing it. The more we share it, the more guests we can have on. We could have Tyson on once a week. I've offered this up to like 10 different people. So Tyson, don't don't feel like you have to. Um, we already had... Matt Mervis Monday is already offered up to to him when he was on the podcast. and Now he's getting his big league debut. Um, So uh, don't feel like you have to. Tyson Thursdays will always be on the table um, for you. But uh, to our listeners, we'll see you guys on the next episode.
2: Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. With the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever Game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code backsidegroundball to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure. To enter promo code backside for $20 off. That's seatgeek.com, promo code backside